another episode of the man child podcast welcome i'm glad you're here i really am i really am guys big week for us at the man child uh released a bunch of new shirts thank you so much for your your warm welcome your uh receiving of uh some new products some new merchandise some new ideas new t-shirts new hats that we put out there and uh some of you guys are digging it we appreciate that All right. Um, Like I said, we're in this thing for a long haul. It's a slow burn. Uh, It's not our full time job. It's not our full time gig. Uh, We don't have a a team of people and marketing individuals and and a ton of money we're throwing at advertising. It's just this is what we want. This is what we believe in. This is what we're working towards. This is what we are trying to create and make out of our lives. And and we're trying to share that with you guys. So I hope you like it. If you want to, if you want to check it out, go. Go on the site, themanchildmedia.com. Check it out. Check out the store. Check out the shirts. See what you think. See what you like. And, and let us know about it. I'm a big, big affirmation guy. All right? I'm very vulnerable. Okay? I'm being very vulnerable right now. I'm a big affirmation guy. Let me know. If you like it, please tell me. All right? It makes me feel good. All right? Listen, uh, still crazy out there. That's okay. Because Paul Puckett is here to let you know it's going to be all right. Paul Puckett is here. And he's one of my favorite people that I have had on this show because the guy gets it as far as just stop, stop trying so hard and just have fun and stop trying to make everybody like you or trying to pretend that you got it all figured out and say impressive things to people and quote Simon Sinek at each other and and read, just go have a good time. And are you, are, you, if you, are you making the decisions that are allowing you to do that? All right? And here's a guy. If you take away a few things, here's what I took away. All right? This guy gives himself time to uh, accomplish what he knows he wants to go out and at least attempt to do. Right? And he said he gave himself 10 years to make uh, the lifestyle he has right now that he'd re- not rather have anything else in the entire world. The job he has, the place he lives, the way he gets to live, the people he gets to live it with, uh, he wouldn't, wouldn't trade it for anything. And he gave himself 10 years to build that. So you know what? Stop freaking out. Give yourself some time. All right? But know where you want and what you want and where you're pointing your life towards. And are you making steps towards that? And what are you waiting on? All right, so that's what I got inspired by from Paul. Paul Puckett is the founder, the creator of Flood Tide Company, a a really, really, really cool apparel company in Charleston, South Carolina, coastal apparel, fly fishing, on the water, low country boils, having a great time, and he's a phenomenal, I mean, otherworldly artist. And brings a lot of cool pop culture, his favorite types of movies and characters. The Big Lebowski holding a redfish uh, is, is, is on sea deck on his, on his flats boat down there. Just fun, cool, well done. Shut up! Daggone it, I got stuff beeping and everything else. I'm sorry. 
All right, obviously, it's a big-time operation over here. Um, cool. And he's lived all over the country. He's lived in some really cool places. Uh, he, he, he's from Texas. I know. I don't know. I, I, Texas people probably hate me because they think, I'm who's this guy think he is? He thinks, you know, I'm not. It's just happening. All right? It's just I've been there like a few times. I like it. I'm into it. I'm not trying to say that I understand it and all that sort of stuff. I did buy the master's class uh, from Aaron Franklin about how to make brisket, and it worked. Okay, so I feel like I've earned a little bit of credibility. But don't yell at me that we keep getting all these Texas people. They're cool guys. All right? Met a lot of good dudes down there and gals. All right? Paul's one of them. Okay, so Paul's from Dallas. Uh he, uh, he, he spent some time in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, uh, working in a fly shop, moved, moved uh, from there to Atlanta, thought he had to finally put some pressure on himself and get a big boy job. There's another cool thing. He's like, what am I doing? What is this? That's dumb. Just, I need to do what I want to do. And, and I, I need to live my life. And he did that and he's doing that. And, I, and, and nobody gets to tell you what you should be doing. Don't put yourself, don't put pressure on yourself because, you know, uh, Kyle and Karen, you know, got it all figured out. They got the two-car garage and they both got, uh, you know, Kyle's got the new Ford Raptor and, and Karen's got a, a, a brand new van and why don't you have that? I mean, just come on, okay? Live your life. Stop comparing yourself. And uh, so Paul moved from Atlanta up to up to South Carolina. The, his, his work was in such demand um, by companies like Patagonia, like Yeti. He's designing shirts, and he's like, wait a second. If, if people are wanting to wear the stuff I design and, and, and I'm giving it to these companies, why don't I just do my own thing? And that's what he did, and I hope you check his stuff out. I hope you, 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 can, you can find his uh, company at Flood Tide Company, Flood Tide Co. on Instagram and uh, at Paul Puckett on Instagram as well. I'm not going to waste and, man, and, and ramble and a whole bunch of time. Also, okay, uh, before we get into this, that was the uh, the Cactus Blossoms, Happy Man, all right, of uh, the uh, opener there. And you'll hear it at the end here too. Are you kidding me right now? Are you kidding me? All right, so, um, you know, pray for me. I got to go get another swab shoved up my nose into my brain and to... to test negative again for the coronavirus. So that's what I got to go do right now. All right. You get to go listen to Paul Puckett be awesome. And I got to go get tested. So let's go. Here we go. What you know about me? What you know about child? What you know about struggling well through this life? We're better together. What you know Right, welcome back or welcome to the Manchild Podcast. I hope you're. I hope you have not lost your mind out there, and uh, you're you're staying strong. You're staying well. And guys, I'm super excited uh, because on the podcast today, our guest, Mister Paul Puckett. Um, Hello. Thank you for being on the show. Well, I'm super pumped uh, that you invited me to be on it. So I'm happy to be here. Thanks. And looking forward to it. Okay, so the, you 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 wear many hats, uh, and you actually wear an actually pretty cool. Is that a cowboy hat that you would call that? Well, I've I've got like like you said, I've got 
quite an array of hats, which for, which one reason is being that we've got this apparel company that uh, you said we're going to talk about later. But So my wife definitely says I have too many hats, but my cowboy hats, I love my cowboy hats, and that kind of stemmed from my granddad that was like an oil man, old like literally on the oil derrick in East Texas. And that was kind of his tradition to show up in a cowboy hat every day, and I've kind of tried to stick with that kind of old school Texas tradition. So I love cowboy hats. Yeah. Well, and, and I was metaphorically, but also literally <laughs> is you, cause you are, you're an artist. Yeah. You're, you're a, yeah. you're a traveler. You're a fly fisherman. You run and, and, and produce and make things, uh, for your apparel company, flood tide company out of Charleston, South Carolina. And there's so many different things. One of the, one of the alternate names we kicked around with this whole, uh, man child experience was the Renaissance man, because, um, something that's very nauseating in current state of affairs is everyone thinks you're just supposed to be, you know, motorcycle guy or yeah. fishing guy or whatever. And, and you strike me and as a, as a person that's got a, a wide variety of interests and you're, and you're kind of pursuing them all at the full throttle. Yeah. And it's getting even, it's getting even worse lately. Like I've got, I've been wanting to get into surfing for a long time and I've, have decided I'm going to do that. I mean, I live in Charleston. It's not the most amazing surfing town. Yeah, but you got but just like, right over there. And, yeah, it yeah. just like the fly fishing community. It's more about the community here than it is actually the sport, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so you've got the community here. And, and also on the other end of the spectrum, lately I've taken up golf, which is, I love as well. It's hard as hard as all get out, but yeah. I love it. I just love the, uh, the camaraderie behind it. Like I wouldn't go play with by myself. I love it because you're going with three or four of your good friends and hanging out and, you know, enjoying everything. So, yeah. So I like a few too many things, but it always keeps my interest and it drives my wife crazy because I'm always doing something, but I love it and I wouldn't have it any other way. Well, I've been following you for a few years now and I don't know how I got connected or, or started following you obviously on Instagram. It's kind of a gross it feels creepy to tell someone that like, look, I've been following you for a long time. You don't know who I am, but now we're talking, but yeah, it, it, it's, it seems like whatever you guys are doing, whether it be a flood tide function or you're just going out fishing or you're going to hang out or you're interviewing your dog, which I've been really, <laughs> I really, yeah, we haven't that. done that in a while. I need to do that. It's been too long. Yeah. College football Saturdays where you interview your dog is a great time for me. I, I, I really tune into that. Uh, but it just seems like you're having fun. You're having a good time. Yeah. And that Absolutely. is what I gravitated towards wanting to speak with you and, and have you on the, on the podcast is because it looks like at the top of the food chain for you is pursue having a good time. Yeah, I would definitely say that I've probably been doing that through since the day I was born. My dad was like that. We were always always doing something fun, always finding something to do. If you have nothing, you can still go find something fun to do. And that's kind of what I've been doing my whole life, honestly. Uh, and I also, it's, it's so easy when you have, like, I'm super lucky to have a lot of good friends that are, I surround myself with and having those people in your life, make it super easy to have fun. I mean, you could be sitting around a campfire with two of your buddies doing nothing, but it's still the, the place that you would be you wouldn't choose anything over that moment if that makes sense so 
Yeah, um, absolutely. I'm, yeah, so I'm super lucky to have a lot of good fishing buddies that I fish with and do things with, and that makes life easier. And my wife and I have a lot of fun. We live in a great place, Charleston. No matter where you turn or what direction you go, something's waiting at the end of the road that is probably pretty fun to do. Always a challenge and something different and new and exciting. Yeah, well, let's let's work let's work backwards. Where you're at right now, what you're doing, and then we'll just kind of reverse timeline how we, how you got sure. to that point. So you're in Charleston, which that place it's one of my favorite cities in the United States of America, and it has absolutely blown up. Um, yep. Why has it done that? Why did it get so popular? It's such an old city, but now it's just like people are just flocking to it. Oh, uh, yeah. I think, you know, I don't know if this has any pure direct influence, but like when I moved here about eight years ago, all these European and national travel magazines and restaurant magazines just put their microscope on Charleston and started saying it's the number one restaurant town in the world. It's the number one tourist town in the world. It's the number one, this town in the world. It just kept coming and coming. And that's been happening for like six, seven, eight years nonstop. And I think it just ever put everyone's attention towards it, not just Southerners, but you've got people coming out from the West. You've got people coming out from the Northeast Midwest and just it's kind of on everyone's radar and um, a lot of people when they finish college move here and kind of do that whole like kind of let yourself go after college thing and have fun for a few years and most people end up staying. So you got there eight years ago and what brought you to Charleston? Yeah I was in Atlanta um, and I was in Atlanta for eight years and I was doing an art show here called Seaweed and it's uh it's an acronym for Southeastern Wildlife Exposition, which they've done here for 35, 40 years. And it just takes over the city in February. And I got accepted to be in that art show. And so the second I came here to town to be in that show, of course, I set up with someone to go fishing. My buddy Jake Ellington got me hooked up with someone to fish here. And it turns out to be Scott Davis, who ended up opening a shop here. And so whenever I'd come here for that art show, it became more times than that. I would start coming three to four times a year on good tides and coming down here and fishing with these guys. And I became buddies with them. And then I just, I couldn't handle it anymore. I just had to live here. I had to live where I could wake up one morning and go red fishing instead of driving back to Atlanta, looking forward to a month later coming back. That's really what it came down to. I just got obsessed with redfish. Well, there's a lot of people that get obsessed with redfish, uh, me mm -hmm. in particular, but they don't always just move. Like, so how did you go through well, the mental, yeah. I'm going to pull the trigger, I'm doing it? Yeah, no, there's definitely more to it than that, obviously. And I was working in a fly shop in Atlanta part-time, and then the other time I was doing my art tank. So I needed that structure of making sure I had at least some money coming in because artwork is so up and down. You know, I can sell two or three paintings in one month and then go two months without selling anything. So at least I had, and I liked working in fly shops. I've been working in fly shops ever since I was 19 and 1994. And so I, I worked in the shop and, and then Scott Davis, who I mentioned opened the shop here in Charleston. So I was like, Hey man, can I come work part-time at your fly shop and still do this art thing? And he was like, heck yeah. So it was just, I had that same structure that I had in Atlanta. So in my other part of my job, artwork, 
I can do that anywhere from anywhere. And more importantly, I'd like to start doing more saltwater subject matter, such as red fishing and other uh, fisheries that I can get to easier now. And that's just kind of how it was. It just kind of just a lateral move, I guess you could say. But exactly, super easy. But exactly what you wanted to direct your life doing, like exactly yeah. where you wanted. Um, I mean, that's that's a that's a talent because there are plenty of people that are daydreaming about you know i want to be around this i want to be around the salt i want to uh, this is my next chapter but they can't they cannot put any of that into action so yeah yeah that's a, but think, that, that's impressive i mean it is and i think the reason i could do it is because i hadn't gotten to a point in my life where I had, I don't really, I'm sitting here quoting with my fingers made it yet. So I hadn't gotten to a point yet where I was really downgrading my way of life or anything like that. So there's not, there was nothing to lose. It was all, if anything's going to happen, I'm going to gain. So, you know, I was still kind of living that shop rat life, trying to be an artist. I'm not going to say I was struggling, but I was, you know, I was happy, but I, you know, I wasn't making the big hundred thousand dollar you know, thing that your buddy doing commercial and uh, commercial real estate was making, but I was happy though. So right. it was a pretty easy yeah. decision for me. You land that really good job right out of college or you jump into the family business. Sometimes that's, that's a trap. Like you're stuck. Mm -hmm. You can't, you get so comfortable. You can't get out of it. Yeah. And I wasn't trapped yet. So I was able to, in the same thing I did, how I got to, um, Atlanta, I used to live out in Jackson, Wyoming, and I was just living that whole post-college, what am I going to do with my life thing for four years. It was supposed to be one year, and it turned into four years. Yeah. And same thing, I was working in a fly shop thinking I was going to be a guide, and I realized real quick that that whole guide life is that this kind of romantic idea you have where your office is in a boat on a river and you don't have to do anything all day. And I found out through becoming buddies with all those guys that it's probably one of the hardest jobs you can do mentally and physically. And, and I hardly ever get to go fishing. So I, I didn't want to move to Wyoming and not fish. So I had four days in the shop and then three days off in a row where I could have a three day mini vacation living in Jackson, Wyoming once a week. <laughs> that's, that's So, yeah, so it was a no brainer. No. So you're, you're from Texas. Yep. From Dallas, right? That, yep, Dallas. And you went to University of North Texas. Yep. I had a terrible, terrible night at the University of North Texas probably uh -oh. four years ago. We, we went down there and played them, and they beat the brakes out off of us. It was a terrible uh, night. Did they actually beat y'all? Yeah. Well, I don't want to talk. It was one of the worst years. We had a uh, – it was <laughs> – we have since – we've since rebounded, but, man, it was – yeah, it was not a good night. It was a bad, bad, bad night. For, uh, yeah, the herd that night, but we've since we've since rebounded. Um, so you're a what? What, are the, what is it? The Mean Green, right? Yeah, Mean Green, and our, our football program is actually coming around as of the last few years. So I'm excited about that. But yeah, I went there mainly mainly to study art. It's a really good art school, really great music school, and uh, so and I being from Dallas, it was only 45 minutes away, and I wanted to at least get out of my hometown, but still feel like I'm getting that away from my parents kind of thing. So, so you knew, you knew the art thing was something you wanted to pursue going into college. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
I thought it was going to be the graphic design part of things, though. You know, graphic design, you, it's still kind of an, an office kind of uh, environment. It's still, you have the boss, you have the job, you have, but you're still doing something creative um, with a structure to it. And and I had, even had the idea, maybe I would do illustration, but the plan was to be a graphic designer. And I ended up having to minor in it because I was not good at the advertising like concept um, part of it. And you had to be equally good in both kind of kept coming up with an ad campaign. Oh, that okay. was something I was not good at. So, what, so I like, kind of relied what, like, on what did they, what, what did, how did you find out you weren't good at that? I, you know, like I could do the logos and the, the logo types and letterheads and kind of all that stuff. But you had to come up with like a five piece billboard ad campaign for a product they gave you. Mm-hmm. And, and I forget the name of my product. It was like, uh, some printing company or something, something as boring as you could think of. And you had to come up with a, a fun thing. And I just was, mine was terrible, terrible. But do you think so, you weren't good at it just because this, it wasn't fun? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, and I'm still not really good at that kind of stuff. Like I might get a good idea for like flood tide stuff, but coming up with a five piece ad campaign is still something I'm not good at. So, you know, it just takes a, it takes a super creative person uh, to come up with that kind of stuff. And I guess I'm not quite that creative. Yeah. But I mean, so. you, this, the stuff you guys are coming up with, I, I, I wouldn't say you're not as creative. I would just probably, maybe it's, a, it's different just, yeah, it's just not my linear thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Totally different frequency. I but so I, I moved on and, you know, four and a half years turned into about six and a half years. I had to change my major, did sociology and just got the heck out of there. And uh, between my business partner at Flood Tide, we, we could be a doctor because he had about six and a half years at Georgia Southern. So we have uh, 13 years of college experience between us. A lot of people go to college for seven years. Yeah. <laughs> They're called doctors. They're called doc- uh, so yeah. where, did the, where, where does the artistic uh, bone come from? Yeah, so growing up, my mom um, was a quilter, sewed, and did a lot of knit, knit, knitting and, and making quilts. And my dad, uh, growing up, my dad was a musician. So he would, he was, uh, his trade was a chemistry teacher at high school, but he, uh, played with his buddies all the time, music. And, and he played a lot of his students like weddings and parties. And he, he played classical guitar and flamenco guitar. So I What's think flamenco guitar? That, it's Spanish. Like, oh, okay. uh, yeah. Yeah, just like that kind of gypsy Spanish sounding mm-hmm. uh, castanets kind of dancing guitar. Um, really cool stuff, yeah. but uh, really technical and very hard. It's something I'll never do. Uh, but so that he, he mastered in guitar and chemistry teacher. But on the weekends, we'd always create, we'd always make like model airplanes and model cars and always making things. So it was definitely instilled in me at an early age that making things was a fun thing to do. So I think that's kind of where that comes from is me wanting to create and mimic and make things You from is, that early age. You're an incredible illustrator and, and the things you draw and a lot of that artwork makes its way onto t-shirts and hats and, and, and apparel you guys are putting out through flood tide. But is I, I, I can, people can barely 
read my name when I write it. <laughs> is is it something in certain people's brains where they can just make the shape what they envision it to be and you're good at it and or is it is it all a craft that is learned just like playing the guitar? Yeah, you know, um I don't yeah, I don't really know if I have an answer for that. I do I do know that when people say you're born with that talent, it's it's I kind of taking offense in the right word. I'm just trying to think of something that's works with well, that. Yeah, but, because it seems like well, it's just you're just a good drawer. Like I feel like it's somebody. Well, yeah, you're just good at drawing. Yeah. I'm not good at that. And it's like no, the only person. Well, the only person's art that I've seen where they were definitely born with it is just old Picasso drawings. Like if you look at drawings that he made when he was age six, seven, eight. Like right. he was born, he and you know you have these people that come around every now and then that can just play the piano. These just kids that just you know, yeah. they're just born with it. They're they're, re, they're like you said, the frequency. They're picking up on the frequency that is hardly ever born uh, these days, and just all through time. But with drawing and painting, it's definitely something I've had to. I mean, it's, I'm 45 years old, and it's taken me. 45 years to get to the point where I'm drawing like I am today. And it'll take me 55 years to get to the point that I'm drawing when I'm 55. So it definitely is something that takes practice and, uh, and just doing it. And, and I think the main thing that you have to train yourself to do is to be able to see, really see what you're drawing. I think that's the hardest thing. Um, a lot of young artists that I, that I see that are drawing fish or whatever, you know, they're trying to draw them anatomically anatomically correct, but they're just not seeing what's there. It's kind of like they're rushing through it. Mm. And I think that's the hardest part about becoming a good artist and draw someone that draws well is seeing what's there. And then you can you can seeing, mimic it and interpret what? however seeing you the want. Colors, the colors, the shape, the shapes and the like the negative space is what creates what you're drawing sometimes and the negative space is is the area that's not really the subject that you're drawing that defines the line between the shape and what's in the background just all these little things that take a long time to kind of learn to notice and i know that's kind of getting out in the cosmos well, yeah you just yeah you blew, stuff, you blew my mind and there was yeah dead air there for a moment. <laughs> that's okay no, but i think uh, because someone that doesn't doesn't understand. I like, the, I like the birds in the background, by the way. Yeah, I'm I'm totally hillbillying it up here. I'm no, I'm literally laying out in a lawn chair because, like, I'm like I'm gonna get some, awesome. I'm gonna get some sun, and you know we'll call Paul. What's not? Let's no, do it both. feels good. I like it. <laughs> yeah, but you like I just don't think most people are born with the talent. I think the talent is the desire to want to get better. If that makes sense. Yeah. Now, do you see yourself? Well, that's that's the the desire to want to. Man, that's beautiful. That's like an Angela Duckworth quote right there. The the you seeing and taking you forty five years to see what you're now seeing and being able to put pencil to paper and and make it look like you're wanting it to and you're still you're saying yourself you're still not where you want to be. I imagine. Uh, do you ever find yourself being like the the frustrated artist because a guy? comes and looks at your artwork and then you, you're like you know, you're not seeing you don't you, you don't you don't get it you don't get my art and he doesn't he doesn't appreciate no it. nothing like that because i'm pretty lucky um i i it's funny that you asked that because i have had a couple of paintings that 
optically are weird looking because if you don't know the context of what is going on, then the painting does look like it's like upside down. Like I've had some hunting dog paintings where they're drinking at a water fountain and everyone that would come by would say to me, are you sure that painting's not upside down? I'm like, no, it's, it's exactly, but cause they didn't understand that that water was coming out of a water jug and just, so it's, it's funny that, uh, in that situation, yeah, cause they're not, they're not seeing, and they also don't understand the context of that painting, but I'm super lucky that most of my art is fishing related and most of the people that like it or are interested in buying it either have been in that situation or appreciate that situation situation or understand that situation. So I don't have a lot of people not really understanding or seeing what I'm trying to portray. Now, if I was, I can't even imagine being like a contemporary artist that is, that would be the hardest thing for me to market because there's so many different people out there that may or may not like contemporary art. And so I'm just super lucky to do the art that I like doing that fits in a certain niche, such as, you know, wildlife or, uh, fishing, angling art. So if you, you were, you were always making something and you, and you have this, uh, this, this side and, 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 and expression in your family that they were, they were creating things and making things. And how did you kind of gravitate towards, uh, outdoor pursuits and centering your artwork around these types of things. Yeah. I mean, I always, I always liked fishing growing up. My granddad's took me, my dad always supported it. He wasn't a huge fisherman, but he still liked it. Like, you know, he had the four rods, four spinning rods and three tackle boxes. And I had the fly rod. So we definitely clashed as far as how much crap one person should bring to when they go fishing. <laughs> but he finally, in his older age, he finally started adapting to the fly fishing, which was fun he started getting into it but it took him a long time but uh definitely my granddad's one of them fly fished and he you know he uh handed down some of his fishing gear and one year we took my grandmother out to those arcs and took her out and on the white river in arkansas and uh that's the first place i ever used that fly rod and uh so Obviously, I just kept fishing, fishing, and then through all my art classes, like through high school, I just started making all my projects uh, fishing-related. And my art teacher was kind of against it, but she kind of finally just kind of didn't care anymore. And then when I started, uh, she wanted me to, like, do other things and, like, explore these, not make every project like a fishing-related, you know, subject matter. Paul, do you really um, think we need another fish? Do you think maybe I know we need another bass? You know, at the time in Texas, all I, all we had was bass. Uh, and then, um, yeah, and then just kept doing it, and kept doing it, and uh, and then when River Runs Through it came out, you know, I just had to go out to Montana at some point. So everything became trout from then on. It became like the obsession with the thing I I can't have or be close to. So that's and then we started doing the arkansas thing a lot more going trout fishing all the time and then just i I just kept with it uh just kept doing trout trout bass and here i am today still still doing it yeah well yeah so and so then and then that led you obviously the the infatuation with trout is what brought you to jackson hole 
Um, were you yeah. there before it turned into the billionaire's paradise, or was it already at that point? It or? was it was getting there. Um, I was there from 2000 to 04 when I finally finished college. So all through college in Dallas, there was a, a fly shop called West Bank Anglers, and it was related to the one out in Jackson, the first one. And they set one up in Dallas because they had such huge catalog sales in Texas. Okay. And this was back in the day when they actually had catalogs, you know, yeah. you get the cool store catalog. See, I miss so they, those things because it was like this yeah, tangible, like you just, it, it was an event. It's like listening to a record, not to be a hipster or whatever. It's no, it totally on vinyl. Is. But when you can pl- pull the pages and you get the thing, I don't know. I like that. Yeah, like the most popular, and I think they just stopped doing it, was the Madison River Outfitters shop in Ennis, Montana. I think it's Ennis. Um, they just stopped doing their catalog. Like they had the most famous catalog forever. And it's sad to think that they just stopped doing theirs. But uh, so yeah, I start, started working at the West Bank in Wyoming um, for four years. And the funny thing is, probably over the last twenty-five years, the least amount of artwork I did was when I lived in Wyoming, um, which doesn't make sense really because it's such a beautiful artist paradise out there. But I honestly just, I goofed off for four years. I fished in the summer, and I snowboarded in the winter, and then I probably did a little too much partying. Yeah, well, but did you did you find yourself maybe painting those moments after you were gone, or was it just... See, yeah, so it, definitely wasn't, it definitely wasn't a waste, because when I moved to Atlanta from Jackson, I had this idea that I had to get the job. You know, I had to get the mm. office job to start making a living. And I worked at a radio uh, company called Cats Radio. And then a year later, I went back to Wyoming in the winter to see some friends. And it just it just snapped. It just made me snap. It uh, was kind of this moment where I realized, what the hell am I doing sitting in an office mm. when I could be in the outdoors taking photos and living all these things I want to do and paint and do my art thing. And I could go over to the fly shop in Atlanta, get a part-time job and try to make that happen. So that's what I did when I got back from Jackson from my week long trip out there, I came back and quit that job and went into the fly shop and they had an opening because one of their full-time guys was going to part-time. So I had a, my ticket and that's what happened. So were you were you kind of falling into the the social norming of like you see you f- start to feel the pressure. It's okay. It's been this long since now. I need to start having something to show for it. I'm in a big city. Yeah. Pe- everybody. And, and so it, it, that literally that moment being back out there just changed your mind. Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, like I can still feel the same feeling today when I went out there. I was like, what the hell am I doing? Why am I sitting in an office wasting this ability I have to paint and draw and fish and wildlife? And and I, I don't want to be sitting there. I mean, just like everyone sits there and wonders why they're sitting in an office when they could be doing something else. But, I, you know, I just said, screw it. I just can't do it. Yeah. But that's, so, I mean, that, that's scary, too, because it's not like, well, no matter what, I know every two weeks I'll have this amount of money coming in. Like, you, you, yeah. you make a conscious decision, like, this could get lean at times yeah and i i gave myself 10 years like i was just gonna do it for 10 years and that was from age 
let's see, basically age 30 to 40, I was going to do it. And, and just, even if I had to live hand to mouth, I was going to do it just to give myself a chance. And I figured 10 years was the amount of time that it would take to get a good feeling for if it's happening or not. And if it's not, I'm going to go back to the figure it out. Mm. I mean, there's a, you know, when people are doing, um, unusually incredible things making art starting companies traveling all over the world just doing things that every everybody else is probably in that said office living vicariously through your instagram feed there's a (laughs) and i've had several people they they have this common trait and it sounds like you have it where you you're very good at hearing your own intuition and you don't second guess acting on it. Yeah, it probably comes from, I don't know where it came from, honestly, because I have no real good reason to back it up, but I guess I've just got too good of confidence or I'm too positive and it sometimes is a downfall. Um, Yeah. I I don't think it's like an ego, like a confidence thing or it's, it's more of just I'm too positive. Like, oh yeah, everything's gonna be fine. You everything's trust, gonna be you okay. You trust yourself. Yes, I trust something. I I'm trusting, I'm trusting the world to end up working in my favor. I guess. Yeah. I guess that's the definition of being an optimist. Yeah, I yeah. So, and honestly, so far I've been super lucky, and it's working out so far. I have great friends. I got an awesome wife. I love my job and I love waking up in the morning. I can't wait to get here. And so, so far it's working. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. but you just wanting to wake up and go to work means it's working. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, yeah. I fully agree with that. Yep. So, okay. Absolutely. Let's talk about flood tide. How did it come to be? What, what is it? What's going on there? Yeah, so through that time that I was in Atlanta telling you that I just couldn't wait to, like, next time be on the salt water. And at the time, I was going to the Georgia coast a lot as well. And um, I would go every time I'd go, it'd be crappy weather. And, you know, at the same time, I was coming up, I was starting to do some some shirt projects. At the time, I think I did some Yeti stuff. Uh-huh. And I got a buddy that... Uh, worked for Yeti at the time that I went to high school with. So he kind of got me involved with those guys. And, uh, and I was also doing, I think at the time, Patagonia, a couple designs and a company called true flies. That's not around anymore, but they had some really cool stuff. So I was doing these designs and I was like, man, if these companies want my art, why don't I just start my own company? Yeah, and we'll come up with some some shirts and some hats. And the whole idea was, we would like three or four times a year we'd come up with like new art, and we the whole idea was we were going to sell them to fly shops where they could have the rights to use that art and still have their logo on the front. So that was the first idea. Like we weren't like going to have our own line of shirts or anything. We were just going to sell the rights to this art for like fly shops all over the country to use. So that was the first idea. And we had these kind of creative fun things going on, like, uh, you know, big Lebowski stuff, like John Goodman holding a brown trout and then Scarface holding a brown trout. You know, the guys from Pulp Fiction holding rainbow trout, 
all these silly little things and it kind of just kept snowballing. And we're like, man, let's just start coming out with our own shirts and hats. And the redfish tail was just the loco because I, I knew, I knew then that I was going to move to Charleston and it would be a smart move to start a, a saltwater branded company from Charleston. So that was also kind of the little secondary reason for wanting to move to Charleston as well. So, so, and you, you yeah, said and you Charleston started just, the idea from Atlanta. Yes. Yes. Okay. With the idea that I think I knew six months ahead of time that I was going to be moving to Charleston. And I think that, I think that's kind of the timeline, like back in 2011. Gotcha. Cause there's no, and from my own limited experience with, uh, coming up with some, some original designs and, and apparel and things like that here with man child stuff. Um, and, and it's very, very infant stages. That's, there's a, there's a huge learning curve with just saying, Oh, here's some artwork and you give it to a brand and they do with what, but now you're putting it on your own stuff and you're getting it and you're getting the inventory and all that kind of stuff. That had to be a big learning curve. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you. It's, we've been doing it now. I mean, you know, so I guess it was, it's been about 10 years. Yeah. Cause we're in our 10th year of kind of the whole brainstorming idea of what flood tide was. And we still learn something new every day with it. And now I'm super lucky that I have, we have as a company more people involved now that run the business and do the orders and the kind of lining up the, the line and creating all this stuff that all I have to do now thank goodness is just go back to basics and come up with our work and the creative side of it. Like the images that are going to be on a hat or a shirt. I don't have to run the business like my uh, partner and I used to do because frankly, I'm just not good at it. Like I'm good at coming up with the artwork that's going to be on the back of a shirt or the front of the hat. And that's, that's what I'm good at. Right. And thank goodness we've gotten back to the point in the company where that's pretty much what I do now. Yeah, but to get to that point, you had it had to grow. It had to take off. Yeah, which it has. How did it do yep. that? Just for keeping it real. I mean, I know that's kind of a stupid saying, but we've <laughs> no. never gone off track from what we were in the first place, like a grassroots do it our way um, company. That we've come up with images that have been a little exotic, like things like should we do this or yeah, let's just do it to just things that we experience and things that we do ourselves every day or every year, every summer, we have yet to ever put something on there that we think would sell just because it's cool that we've never done. And I think that, I think that seeps into the company pretty well and people trust that it's authentic. Yeah. There's definitely a vibe you can pick up that you guys have you've lived in this experience and yeah when when you when you see people or they want they own the shirt or they buy the hat it's because like it's almost like a it's a photograph you've captured a memory and they're they can share that they you know they've also been a part and they know what that's like they know that feeling they know what it's to be out there to do that thing whether you're good at it or not it it kind of captures that memory because um what I always thought about, because I have the same 
romantic idea ideology of being a guide like if that was like man if i could just if i could do that if i could go f learn the fishery or learn how to do it enough and that that's what i'd go do and 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 then the more guides i talk to i find out the same thing that you are but the one thing i still hold on to is you get to be a part of whoever your client is that's that's their top five best day of their year yeah is being out there and doing that and then now obviously you move in there and you get to live it on a on a daily basis and get in your own flats boat and go find the fish and but i mean that's you you hold on to those experiences and it's cool that you have created a company that basically helps people commemorate those experiences for themselves yeah and it never gets old whenever i see someone wearing a hat or a shirt it's, it's, you know, it's funny whenever my wife and I are out and let's just say we're at the grocery store and I'll be like, oh, that guy's wearing a flip side hat. Like, I, I'd rather kind of see it out in the wild where, yeah, I'm not going to go tell my wife always had, like, if I go off and look at the mustard, she'll always go up to that guy and be like, you're wearing one of our flip side hat and that's Paul over there. I'm like, God, come on. <laughs> she always has to be like a, Would you like like a him proud to sign mom. It? <laughs> Yeah, she'll always be like a proud mom and go over there, like which I'd rather kind of just kind of fly under the radar and just kind of watch it all happen. So it's pretty, it's still exciting to see someone wearing the stuff because they're proud of it and it makes us proud for sure. And it's still really cool and we haven't lost a sense of that by any means. Oh, no doubt. So, and yeah, and we're finally coming out with some more like cut and sew stuff next spring, like some polos and some shorts and some solar shirts that we're actually making from the ground up, which we're super excited about. Now, okay. So when you get into something like that, you know, it's not just a t-shirt and you get it from a guy, the company that makes the t-shirt and you can pick the kind of thread that you want, but you're doing it. Like you said, from the ground up, where did you, where do you start? Yeah. So it, it is complicated. It's, it's definitely a lot of hits and misses uh, along the way, but essentially you want to find a shirt that, that you like that is going to be that's going to fit the same every year like something that they're hopefully not running into a different factory next year where it's going to fit a little bit different where hey this large doesn't fit the way it did last year like because you have people that buy something from you every year whether it's one shirt or five yeah. shirts they're buying five larges from you every year and the last thing you want is for those larges to be different so you got to kind of maneuver that and it has to be the material that, like, we've probably gone through four or five different shirts in the last eight years, and we finally found one that we just absolutely love. But now that we're going to this cut and sew stuff, it's going to change up again a little bit. Yeah. And but I mean, is there the like, sun, is there is there is there like the guy that somebody that you know like because I've had this kind of similar conversation. We had Rick from Howler Brothers on this podcast and he well oh, that's that's my buddy that i was saying that i went to high school with <laughs> that's funny really he, yeah we grew up together super super cool guy um yeah and that wow that's a small world that's really interesting um he uh so i mean like it, it's literally like it feels like to me it'd be like designing a house like you you know we want it to have this type of feature we want it to fit like this we want it to is there like it, it almost feels like there's there a, is there a neighborhood in like New York in the like that you got to go see the lady and she like opens <laughs> you know like where did yeah, it yeah. all start how, I, I've always been yeah. curious like how do you get you, in on the inner circle of shirt people? 
Yeah, so I'm not sure what Rick and those guys do now, but you can definitely, you know, if there's a certain number of ochre, yellow ochre t-shirts that you think you can sell, then you can get them made at a factory, whether that's U.S. made or wherever. And But the minimum number for those yellows is 4,000. That's 4,000 broken up into different sizes. So you can either get them done the way you want with your specs, or you can go to another company like an, you know, uh, I'm trying to think like, uh, I'm not trying to like, look, we can edit this. If you don't like, look, no, 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 you don't no, want to tell people no, how the magic no. is made. Just shut up. No, okay, but look. you can get, there's, there's companies out there that, uh, my mind is just a blank on I'm trying to think of like, like a Gildan or something, you know, Yeah, yeah. like a Gildan makes all these different types of shirts and the minimum number isn't going to be 4,000. And they can do little things like, you know, print your label on the neck and you don't get 4,000, you get 500, but the price is obviously going to be a little bit more expensive. So these factories like that, they're just a phone call or an email away. And there's also wholesalers that will sell you a hundred of these shirts. Like if you wanted to do like a limited edition, whatever, you can get a hundred, fifty, two hundred, whatever from whatever company and have a local printer print them for you. So, you know, or you go the route that we talked about earlier, like the cut and sew, where you're designing everything down to the T, the size, the pattern, the material. You just have to buy a whole lot more. So it's not so, like, a, yeah, it's not like you're like, uh, what was it, Frank? What was Frank's last name in American Gangster, where he like takes the canoe back in the jungle and just gets his whole supply chain set up and figures yeah, it out? And- exactly. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Like, you know, Nike, like Patagonia, they they have their own factories. Like, they, anything from owning the factory to totally renting out an existing factory to do nothing but their stuff to their specs, you know, and they're getting 20,000 shirts, T-shirts made. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, it just depends on where you start. And, you know, we were getting our stuff from wholesalers back in 19 or 2012, you know, 100 shirts at a time sending him to a screen printer and the tag still said Gildan or whatever, you know, right. so we weren't doing our customized neck levels yet. So you, those are just things you learn along the way. Yeah. Well, so, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating thing. My, my next question is with, uh, it's it, outdoor representation of like stuff to where that tells people you like to go do stuff outdoors, it feels like has exploded. Like there's no, there's never been more things that you can consume and wear and put on the back oh, of the no. truck and all that sort of stuff. And do you get caught up in, or do you just say, you know, God bless you for people? Cause there's a lot of, you know, kids that it it's, it's almost an aspirational identity they don't they've never held a redfish but they're gonna wear stuff with redfish on the back of it because yeah that's the type of they want to identify with that type of lifestyle do you see sure. a lot of that with people consuming your brand or is it kind of the 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 like you said the guys that keep it real and they've they've lived it yeah um not really i mean yeah not really and i think I think brands like us and brands like Howler, I think you kind of only really know about them if you know, like 
if you're in that inside circle of that that small one percent outdoorsman guy. Otherwise, you know, I, like it's it's funny you say that because like Southern, like Southern Tide's one of those brands I think that yes. people just get because. But the funny thing is, we were we were reading some of their 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 uh, their type on one of their websites. We saw that they had some new uh, like redfish and tarpon shirt, and this <laughs> it cracked us up. It, it was a tarpon. He goes, "What do you do when you go out tarpon fishing? When you come back to the dock with your tarpon and slice it up and put it on the grill?" <laughs> it's just oh, like, man. God, who did this copy? Like. But that's just the epitome of that brand and the guy that wears Southern Tide. Yeah, I mean it's so, like, it's like those memes, the you know the the, the frat guy starter pack type deal, you know Southern totally. SEC frat starter pack, and, and and there's a lot, and and God bless them, the the people at Patagonia, are, they do incredible quality things, and they do it honestly and and but they are such yep. a gigantic brand that you do run into it's almost sometimes it seems like the people that are wearing it it's it's more of a brand grab as is more yeah, than it is absolutely this is they recognize the logo but they don't have any clue what patagonia really is or where it is or you know they just like the logo and it's just and it's good stuff so yeah yeah for sure so favorite but, you know that also might that also might lead at the same way to us you know, not ever be in the Patagonia because we're just authentic and people that want to be authentic wear our stuff. So, I mean, that's, yeah. you know, oh, I don't think that that's a bad thing at all. Yeah, cause... no, I don't either. I'm fully behind it. <laughs> uh, your your favorite type of fishing, what is it? You've, you've done a lot of uh, types. You know, um, probably just because... I don't want to say redfish because I want to get more interesting with this because the redfish are in my backyard and I can do them whenever I want, but probably uh permit fishing, uh, basically knowing that I might go all day without even coming close to catching something is just exciting to me. And, and I know it's hard and that's why I like it. And we've got half of our group that was supposed to be in April, our Mexico trip, we do it every April. Half of them are down in our, our lodge that we go to in Mexico right now. So, like, it pains me to even think that they're there without us right now. <laughs> but uh, it's a hard fish. But, you you know, like most fish, you're in a beautiful place trying to catch them. And they're such a cool fish. And I'm not going to say they're smart. I think they're just instinctually finicky and weird. And that's what leads you to not really catching them. And they just have these huge eyes and they come in and they literally come and inspect your fly and decide whether to eat it or not. You know, it's not like really just about any other fish that just instinctually grabs the fly because it looks, you know, they need to make a decision quick. These things come in and have an interview with your fly and they either eat it or, or, you know, most likely won't. So that's, I just love that. So, and, and, the other thing is about about where you're from, where you are now, South Carolina, and and the you know this 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 Rust Belt kid here talking to you uh, who got into this whole thing backwards. Uh, I took a job down in Florida, and people are like, you know, you can you can fish for these fish with a fly rod, and I was like, what are you? Yeah. And then okay, I'm in. Let's do it. And then, uh, 
they and I and it's just it's never it's been a, a horrendous money pit of frustration ever since chasing trying to do this but oh, yeah. I, I don't to this day like i'd have to go out with a guide or, or a local or something to understand like what when you're saying flood tide there there's a certain uh, there's certain tides throughout the year where it comes way up and that's stuff that's not normally underwater is how does that work yeah so um, you know, if, if you go over a bridge in Charleston, you're typically, typically going to see like some sort of waterway, whether it looks like a river or a creek and anything you would call a marsh is anything from grass to like kind of these grass flats that are mud. And those typically are not underwater at, at any given time, but our tides are anything from at low tide, you know, there's usually in those creeks about a four to five inches of water and high tide it's usually about five and a half feet of water so you have such a huge amount of water that comes in and out of these creeks and rivers and waterways but when you get that full moon or new moon those high tides get bigger and the low tides get lower so you go even to more extremes you go to zero water in the rivers to these high tides that go above those mud flats that I was talking about in the grass and that water seeps up there. And usually we hear we need about a six foot tide to kind of create that environment where we have enough water on those mud flats for fish to start coming over the edges and start looking for new means of food, which typically mean fiddler crabs. And that usually happens about three or four days before an after a new moon or a full moon like today or tomorrow i think we start getting a flood tide um and that's going to be in the afternoons for the next four or five days we've got good fishing tides really yeah so so we're already already started getting a text about an hour ago hey guys who's getting out this weekend you know so those texts start coming in right everyone starts planning out their day when you're going to go fishing and so it's it's definitely a lot of fun and creates a little bit of excitement. I have a good South Carolina fly fishing story because me and some buddies from up here in West Virginia were like, let's just go to Charleston, let's redfish. And like no plan, yeah. no guide, nothing. So yeah. we show up <laughs> at the Low Country Fly Shop, which I think that yep. I don't think they are open anymore. Um, that's where I worked. That's where I worked. So there's a good chance I might've met you on this trip. Really? Okay. Yeah. How long ago was this? Four years ago. Okay. I think I, I, yeah, I quit about four or five years ago. So, um, no, yeah. Anyway, so we might, we might've met. This is bizarre. So we go, I'm like, let's just start there. So we go there and whether I don't, I don't believe it was you. But the guy was incredibly gracious because I I have been big timed in a fly shop, right? Like okay. where it's like you don't you can they can smell how much I don't know what I'm talking about, and <laughs> and yeah. for the longest time because just being a younger just idiot, like I thought if I came in there with a few key terms that I could throw at them, I could convince them that I know something. Which we've only, all been in that. We've all been there. It's so ignorant, though, because I only make things worse, and I walk out of there having learned nothing and just played charades with the guy, and he his time is wasted, 
and my time it's stupid so now i go in there and i plead absolute ignorance and say please help me to the point to where people have literally just taken me out which has been awesome that happened to me that's funny in new smyrna beach one time um there you go so we go there the guy goes um well your equipment sucks use this and hands me like a twenty five hundred dollar outfit and he goes (laughs) i know you'll bring it back just go have a good time and so that's probably scotty that sounds like something scotty would have done so I think that might have been his name. Yes. So we go um, under the big, huge bridge. Kind of the 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 battleship is to the left. Yeah, that's a good flat. Yep. And then you walk down there, and there's like a seven trillion fiddler crabs and all that. Yeah. And you kind of buy that a big new apartment loft, and all. so we walk down in there, and my buddy just. It was like an Indiana Jones scene of quicksand. Like, that's the the pluff uh, mud that he falls in. And, like, we can't get him yeah. out. So, like, we're, well, like, grabbing, like, sticks and trying to... It's, oh, my Lord. It sucks. His shoes off, his phone out of his pocket. He's, like, basically crawls out of the hole naked and... So, y'all were probably there at, like, mid-tide when the water hadn't covered over those parts because that's where the nasty stuff is. Oh, just, yeah, no plan. Just idiots. Total idiots and that's funny we get just uh you know kicked you know between the legs and we Uh we we go back into the fly shop just smelling like sewage and covered in mud and we're like he's like how'd it go and he looks at us he's like oh i was like thank you for letting us use the rod and then (laughs) that was it yeah it was as close as i've come to a uh south carolina redfish and then i've gone out with willie lee in uh mosquito lagoon and he yeah. literally was like, dude, I've never seen anybody. He's like, I'm not even being mean. Like, that's this bad at it. And that's literally what he said. And I've never, never forgot it. So I've gotten a lot better, Willie, since then. So we're going to have to go again. <laughs> that's uh, funny. Well, hey, it's, especially when it – and that's what I'm so intrigued by when it comes to salt water is all the different elements that are against you, like tides, moon phases, temperature, currents, uh, and just eating eating phases like these fish like you can go somewhere i can go to a place today at five o'clock on the tide and then the next day 45 minutes later to be at the spot the same time at the tide yesterday i saw 20 fish and i could see zero the next day it's just you can never predict anything and that's what i love about it that's what i love the challenge like that's why those tarpon guys get so into the science of the moon phases water temperature currents tides and it's never the same they're always learning something and that's why salt water fly fishing is so interesting to me and you literally have to be out there i mean as much as you possibly can to have any type yeah. of grasp on it like if yeah you, if i mean think- these guys these guys keep charts and books and temperature water temperature tide to tide structures and you know, sometimes they can rely on that stuff, and so sometimes they can't. But uh, that's what's awesome about it. That's what makes it so interesting. Yeah. You guys, so. I've been, and, and probably not so much now with the, I tried, I'm trying to make this like a reprieve for people. You can put something on and listen and not hear about COVID-19 or about yeah. <laughs> somebody protesting something. But there, there's a couple different things. That I wanted to hit on that I think is an um, an untapped conversation in the outdoor pursuits. And the first one is 
Um, obviously, it it looks like a really fun time when you guys get the uh, what you call that a van, a sprinter van, the the flood tide when you go out and travel and and kind of go do some yeah some branding things. Um, it just looks like it looks like you guys are using the brand and fishing as an excuse to just go have a ton of fun. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a little there's a little work involved in there somewhere. <laughs> right. Exactly. But it's it's yeah. good work. It's fun work. Totally. Um, one of the things and this isn't this isn't, you know, I want to if we need to or whatever, we'll edit it out. But like I work um in college football and um it's a there's a there's a large minority population that play college football. And I'm kind of losing you a little bit. Let me a little muffled. Let's uh, see if I can. Can you hear me? There we. Yes. There you go. Okay. Sorry. Uh, there's no problem. There's a you know obviously I work with a lot of uh, minorities, African Americans um, yep. that play college football, and there seems to be a a real gap in um, fly fishing and minorities being a part of it. Um, yep. And so one of the things that I'm really interested in is uh, getting getting some of the guys that like I work with that I the, the, the athletes and the kids that we train and, and get ready to play football and exposing them to some of these experiences because yep. I, I, and I really think that there's a bridge to be had between what the the two side and really sometimes it feels like the total polar opposite ends of our pop culture is uh, a, a young African American football player and a guy that likes to saltwater fly fish like they th- those two guys don't probably see uh, the world in the same way and one yeah. of the, one of the things that we want to, and I don't know when we're going to, is and, and when it's safe to, obviously, with everything, but with um, with Manchild is to basically, there, there are some guys that we have on our football team that are from Florida and have literally never seen the ocean. And mm-hmm. when, when you don't have, when you have a limited perception of the world, the, the, the hypothesis that you create about the world sometimes isn't, as positive as it should be or you don't think certain things are available to you and you you deem yourself we talk about this term all the time a lot of guys somewhere along the line said that these experiences i'm not qualified for it's not for me and yeah um i think it would be a really and i don't know how to do it but to get people that have never had these experiences that have never seen how a redfish takes a fly or seen uh even know what a flats boat is or where to put this thing and 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 all that sort of stuff to to experience these things for the first your 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 perception of the world gets a little bit bigger and that's the approach that i'm we take here with why we're so into the outdoor pursuits is it's not it cool you got a deer with a huge rack of antlers cool you know great you killed a huge elk great you look at the size of that bass but it's more just like every time you go out there and you take somebody out there that hasn't experienced those things um their perception of the world gets a little bigger and a little bit more positive and i think yep 
sometimes we we get so niche into like our little thing and everything's a little innuendo and everything's a if you know you know type thing that sometimes it, it can seem unwelcoming for people that and, and I've had a guy and it was a sobering experience for me because a guy was like coach I see you go fishing all the time like why don't you take me and I'm like why don't I take you because you would really <laughs> enjoy it. you know and, and so yeah I think it would be really cool to get uh, a collection of people or brands or whatever and and the from Haller Brothers or from Flood Tide and, and get a group of people that have never experienced this stuff and let them see these things and be like, all right, I see what you guys are so infatuated with. I think would be a really cool – that's basically yeah. my, my weird way of, of pitching it to you. Um, and then if you're like, yeah, no, hey, don't put me on the I'd, spot, I'm not going to talk about this. No, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think it would be fun just to get there – feedback and just their like you know when you see something for the first time like and obviously i think it would take someone having a little background and liking fishing already you know right. to make it more interesting uh but i would i think that'd be fun and exciting to get someone that's never even just held a fly rod in their hand and put a 30 you know redfish 30 feet away from them sitting there eating and tailing and see what happens and just the reactions and the excitement i mean i think you'd have to be dead for it not to be exciting you know so uh and no matter what your background is or where you come from and i think that's the common bond in fishing you can put two strangers that like fishing in the boat and then the end of the day they're going to be best friends because of the things you experience together and the things that you saw and took in. So, you know, I think it's just a matter of getting that, that guy on a boat 30 feet from a redfish, because maybe he's never had the, the ability to make that happen, you know? So, and I didn't either until I moved here. Right. So, uh, it's just, yeah, it's just a matter of getting those things set up and making them happen, happen and do them, doing them. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, I mean, the, the person, and we're so, uh, everything is such an everything's so extreme right now. Everybody is just, yeah. you're either a mask guy or you, I can't believe you're a sheep and you wear a mask. I, you either, totally. you're a, you're a Trump guy and, or the guy that hates Trump thinks you're a redneck idiot. And it's just, it's nauseating. We're, we're, we're really not that, uh, far away from each other. And, and this experience of what, what, what it is we're trying to get out of life you know we're we're all different yeah. and we have different things that we're interested in but good lord man like it's it's not as ugly as sometimes when you scroll through your instagram as people like to make it out to be oh for sure absolutely yeah um well yeah that's that's definitely a good point though to bring up i think it would be fun i don't know how i don't know when i don't know what we could do but i think it would be a cool thing to do well, um, if it ever comes up and you're coming to Charleston, let me know. Absolutely. Um, like I said, one of my favorite places in America. Um, I'm lo- I love what you guys are doing. I love uh, your brand. I love your artwork. Um, and you, uh, you've been a cool guy to talk to. Well, I appreciate the support and uh, definitely including me and Flood Tide and, and trying to get to know us a little better for sure. I appreciate it. Been fun. Uh, absolutely thanks Any, anything i'm leaving out anything i'm missing 
No, you know what? Come come see us in Charleston if you're ever here in town. Feel free to shoot me an email, paul at paulpucketart.com, and come by the studio. And we're also going to be opening a store on King Street here in Charleston for Flood Tide, uh, I think, by September 1st. So really? if you're around here, yeah, I think that's the plan. The Flood Tide headquarters. Yeah, it's going to be more. We're just going to try it for like a year, a little pop up shop. So oh, cool. that's the deal. So we're excited about that. So how can okay? Also, people that had never, you know, this is if this is their first time hearing about it, how do they? You're you're on Instagram at yeah Paul Puckett Art, and that's Puckett with two T's. So okay. Paul Puckett Art, and then the Instagram for Flood Tide is just it's uh, Flood Tide Co. Flood Tide Co. On Instagram. Yep. Awesome. All so right. well, and our guys, website is floodtide.com. Com. Guys, uh, yeah. just a, a genuine human being um, that's a, an, an authentic brand. And now you know where some of the inspiration's coming from. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, they, they and I, I told Alvin to do this, that like I, I work in athletics. People, I, I watch people obsess over athletes and they wear yeah. their jerseys and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, this is how I. I'm a fan. I, I, I'm a fan of, of people like yourself and, and Al. Well, I appreciate and, it. And those types of things. So you have to get well, me a and, hey, jersey. Well, I'll, I'll get uh, some more dog interviews going for you, too. Yeah, get them going. Well, Willie, how, how did you name – where did Willie Nelson, the dog name, what, what inspired Yeah, so he was a last-second arrival. My wife did that when I was in Montana last summer, and we already had Norman, our Boston Terrier, is that Norman said like Norman, Oklahoma, or just Norman? No, it's our, her friend recommended that. He, I named him Waylon. He was Waylon for a day, and that only lasted a day, and he became oh. Norman a day later. <laughs> so um, you can kind of see where that pattern's going. Yeah. And then, uh, you guys kind of got and named him Norman. <laughs> yeah, we got uh, this French bulldog, and my wife kind of spurred that on me. We got a good deal on him and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and... We couldn't come up with a name, and I was like, well, let's just call him Willie Nelson. She was like, perfect, calling him Willie Nelson. And then this year in his, for his birthday in April, I believe, I was listening on his, the day of his birthday on the radio. It said today is Willie Nelson's birthday. So the real Willie Nelson and him actually have the same birthday. What? Yeah, you crazy. You didn't even know that? No, I had no idea. This some just all happened. Serendipitous destiny. Yeah. You got to play so, the uh, the new Nathaniel Ratliff "It's Willie's Birthday" song. Oh, okay. Have there you, you heard go. That? I like some. No, but I like some Nathaniel Ratliff. Yeah, he's got a new song called "It's Willie's Birthday," and it's about okay. Willie Nelson's birthday. I'll do it. Well, perfect. That makes it even better. And I'll I'll get some interviews out there and ask yeah. him if he's heard of Manchild. Yeah, we wait. We await that anxiously. So, All right, awesome. We'll make it happen. Right. Well, I Have a great day. Absolutely. Thank you, and uh, keep on keeping on. All right, you too, bud. Thank See you. you. Bye. There you have it. Paul Puckett, ladies and gentlemen. The Paul Puckett. A uh, big fan. All right. Um, founder of the Flood Tide Company. Make sure you check him out. Check him out on Instagram. Check him. Check his company out, Flood Tide Co. 
on the gram. If you like what's going on, if you like what you're hearing, if you're enjoying these episodes, all right, uh, just do us a little favor. Go on Apple iTunes. Give us a little like. Give us a little loving. And uh, that helps us get this thing spread, this word spread, the, the essential need to struggle for what we want, for who we love, for what we love, and this life we have. All right? Hey, we got a new article coming out this week. Um, you're not going to be happy until you know what you want. And knowing what you want is harder than you think. So an article coming out this week. Make sure you check that out. Go in the store. If you like what's going on, we got a lot of new gear. Check it out, man. See if you like it, okay? Uh, it's fun. It's fun to do this. It's fun to experience these uh, guests, these interviews, these uh, episodes with you guys and get your take on what you're hearing. All right? Uh, stay safe out there. And, and, and try as hard as you possibly can, as long as you possibly can, for everybody around you, for yourself, for your life. And have a great time, man. Love you guys. Struggle well. All right, we'll see you. On the gloomy.